0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our savior king more clearly and through his gospel learn to live well in his, in Christ kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew and let's learn about our savior king and his kingdom. To Matthew 15, as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew, in a series I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom. Let's open our time in the Word with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you, um, Lord, as we especially as we approach a time of thanksgiving. Lord, where we focus on being thankful and and sometimes we get so caught up in the doings of Thanksgiving, we forget about the, you know, the whole point of being thankful. And so I pray that you'd help us to be more thankful, that we we would look for things to be thankful for. And while there's a lot of things to be concerned about, there's a lot of things to be, you know, to be frustrated and even angry about, Lord, there's always something we can be thankful for and we should take some time and do that. And right now I'm thankful for your church, I'm thankful for your people, I'm thankful Lord God that you bring us together to a time where we might sit and hear from your Spirit what you want to say to your church. And so we open our hearts and minds up to you, we ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to us in in power, that that we would be open to hear, Lord, what you would say to us as we're going to talk today about people who weren't open to hear. That they, were, that they were blind to your truth, blind to your things. And the consequences of that blindness are terrible. And we see the evidence of it all around us. And so we pray, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, open our, our eyes that we might see the truth and allow that truth to do its work in our hearts. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 14 which came before chapter 15 in my Bible, was filled with all kinds of cool stuff. It had, it had uh, several miracles and they are great, profound displays of the power and majesty and deity of Jesus Christ. He, he revealed who he was very powerfully. It began with him seeking and desiring to be alone. He had gone to this deserted place to be alone. He had been, he had been active in ministry, and, and he decided it was time for him to take a, a spiritual break wasn't going to be after a break because he was going to pray all night, but he was getting alone to do that. Well, he gets to where he was going and a whole multitude shows up and he spends the, the time that he was going to spend alone with God, he spends it healing every sickness that they had. Gets to the end of the day, the disciples come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, you need to get rid of all these people. Basically tell them to go so that they can go get something to eat. And, and Jesus says, no, you feed them. And then, then he, the, the miracle of the multiplying of the five loaves and the two fish, a, a, a radical display of the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, it's such, so impactful. Mark's gospel says that they wanted to take him in that moment and make him king by force. And Jesus said, eh, no, not today. So he sends the disciples away, he sends the crowds away, and then he goes up on the mountain and prays, and prays, and prays. But while he's praying, the disciples are out on the lake, they're out in the middle of the lake, storm comes up, and they're in trouble. They're having a hard time. And then in the the fourth watch, it tells us, between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus walks to them on the waves, in the storm. We've heard that account. We know it well. We're told in that account of of Peter, another miracle. Peter walks on water, then sinks, and then walks on water again. And then miraculously, the boat goes from the middle of the lake to where they were going, to Gennesaret. They get to Gennesaret, and what's there? People, multitudes. And what do they want? They want more of Jesus. And they come. And he heals every sickness. Miracle after miracle after miracle happens. Well, chapter 15 is going to open with some blind men coming to Jesus, but not to be healed because they don't know they're blind. Let's pick it up in chapter 15 verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were fr- were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, "Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread?" Jesus is later going to refer to these scribes and Pharisees as blind leaders or blind guides in some translations. They're not physically blind, they're spiritually blind. Now, now here's, here's the reality. Unless you're perfect here today, which I know you're not, we all have blind spots. We all have spiritual blind spots. There are things in our lives that we can't see, that there, there are things where, where we're going along, we're thinking everything is fine, but unbeknownst to us, in an area in our life where we can't see, there's something going on, and it's interfering with our relationship with God. All of us have spiritual blind spots. And blind spots come for lots of different reasons. It can be a, a lack of experience. It can be a lack of faith. It can be your personality type. It can be physical things. There's so many different reasons why we have blind spots. But we all have them. The problem with spiritual blind spots is they obscure God's truth and they obscure his will. They make it hard to see God. These guys come and, and they, they come to Jesus, and say, hey, your disciples, they're not washing their hands before they eat. Now, okay, how many of you grew up with mom saying, wash your hands before you eat, right? You know, it's like, I, like every meal. And, and, and I don't know why it works out this way, but. I had to be told just about every meal to go wash my hands. I don't know why that works like that, but it does. That's not what we're talking about here. The disciples weren't eating their meals with filthy, nasty hands. They're referring to the ritual purification that Jews practiced before every meal. The problem that Jesus has with it, he's going to have with it, is that's not found anywhere in the Scriptures. Nowhere in the Scriptures does it tell the Jews that they need to wash their hands, to have this ritual of washing their hands before them. The closest thing we find in Scripture is the purification of the priests before they serve in the tab- tabernacle or temple. That's the closest thing we've got to this. As part of an elaborate ritual that the Jews had, where they, they just had, a, they had rituals for just about everything in life. Even the smallest little details of life. The, the, the super devout Jews had a ritual for absolutely everything. For, for their tithing, for their praying, for their just, act, just normal everyday life things. They had rituals for all of it. And it was born out of a truth that God is Holy. Somebody say, yeah, God's holy. We know that. How holy is God? All the way holy. There's no unholiness in God at all. He is absolutely perfect, perfect holiness. And so the, so the, so the, and the, and the way that God communicated to them, hey, you just can't come to me any way you want. If you want to come to me, you need to, be, you need to be ritually pure. You need to be clean before me. You can't just come spiritually filthy before me. And so God created a system of rules that, that, that was used so that the Jews would be purified. Now the, tr- now the same truth applies to all of us. You can't just go to God any way you want. You can't just go to God and, and be, you know, you know, sinning in one breath and then go to God in the next and say, hey God, hey, hey, Jesus, want to hang out? It doesn't work like that. The law of Moses told the Jews there were things they needed to do if they wanted to worship God the right way. Speaks of, of ritual purity and defilement. They had a whole a system of things. If you do this or, or you, you eat this or you whatever, it defiles you. If you are defiled, then you need to do X, Y, or Z so that you are ritually purified. And there was this whole system that they developed. But the problem was that wasn't good enough for them. So over the centuries, and it took centuries for this to happen, it didn't just happen overnight. Centuries that they would they would add little details that something you know some little detail come up they you know they had the rule but then they would say but what about right w- what about when this happens and so they'd create a rule around that and then another thing over here would happen another thing over here happened and then they realized well, wait a minute these two rules kind of con- contradict one another so let's make a rule that overrides both of those and it went on and on and on until they had this over just whelming system of rules and regulations and rituals that were so burdensome that most people couldn't, couldn't, couldn't even come close to doing it. And the idea was every one of these things was meant to purify themselves so that they could worship God. The problem was that over time, the rituals were replaced, replaced worshiping God. So it became all about the ritual. If you want to worship God, you've got to do the ritual. It wasn't about being purified. It was about doing the ritual. The ritual became the religion. It became worship. And God, God doesn't see it that way, as Jesus is going to describe to us here. In the minds of the scribes and the Pharisees, the... the, 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 the disciples, when they didn't do this ritual of hand washing, I couldn't tell you what, what it looks like because I, I don't know what it looks like, but it's pouring water over your hand a certain way and a certain amount and blah, blah, blah. And, and because they weren't doing it, according to the scribes and Pharisees, they were, they were disobeying the traditions of the fathers who are the ones that developed all these rules and therefore were, were um, uh, offending God. that that because they weren't following the traditions of the fathers, they were offending God. Jesus had a different viewpoint, verse 3. And he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Wow, that's pretty intense. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Now, we need a little background here so we understand this. The Bible teaches very clearly that, that, there is a, a relationship between the father and, ch- you know, the parents and the children, children to parents, is outlined in Scripture. There's a, there's a, there are relationships there that God expects us to honor, and one of those is honoring your mother and father. There's an element where, you know, where we're supposed to treat each other certain ways, and, and, it's, and it's important. And one of the ways that, <clears throat> that, that comes up is the idea that children should take care of their parents when their parents need them to. Now, now I can look around the room. I can see several people here who are actively doing that right now. They're, they're, they are, their parents are in a situation where they need help. Who is responsible for that? Not the state of California. Not, you know, Medicare, not this thing or that. Who is responsible for that? Their children are responsible. God taught me this one really profoundly when my mom was alive, when she was, you know, aging, and she needed help. I, I, I God taught me this during that season of time where she was, when she was, in our, you know, in our. We have two homes on our property. She lived in the back house, and when I was, when she was there, I took care of everything she needed. And when she needed something, I was the guy. When she needed to go somewhere, I took her. It was my responsibility. Now, I know, not everybody has a great relationship with their parents. That's reality. There are people that their parents, matter of fact, it's probably a good idea that they don't have a, better, a different relationship because their parents would abuse them or take advantage of them or mistreat them, whatever it might be. That, that's reality. That's, that's the way the world is. But for the Jews, they were raised, they were trained, they were taught that when your parents become aged, it was the children's responsibility, not the state, not the not the you know, the village or whatever. It was the children's responsibility. If they were able, the children were to take care of their parents. Having two of my children here, listen carefully. And you can send this message to your older brother, too, and make sure he's got it, too. Kidding. What Jesus is referring to here is the scribes and Pharisees are accusing Jesus' disciples of not following the ritual of the tradition of the ancestors, of the forefathers. But Jesus points to a commandment and says, Your traditions violate the commandments. That's key. What what he's referring to here is something that had developed over time, and it was the the tradition of Corbin. And it was, it is so wicked. It's it's hard for me to even imagine it. Again, I I had a good relationship with my mom. I have a good relationship with my children, so I don't relate how you can even get to this place. But if a, if a son, and they typically would refer to the son in this context, if a son chooses, he can decide not to take care of his parents. And the way that he does it is by, by promising all of his stuff to God. Say, I'm going to give all of my stuff to God so that when I die, everything goes to God. And at, that, at that point, as far as the, the, the priests, and again, they, they conspired with the scribes, the Pharisees, and the priests to do this wicked thing. And, and again, it developed over time that, that then at that point, the church, the, the, the priests would not allow them to help their parents. So if they got, got to a point, if you had a problem with your parents, you didn't like your parents, they they you know they you know they said something mean to you, you do this, you could call, you could initiate this 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 law of Corbin, promising all your stuff, and 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 just coincidentally, the when you do that, you have to actually give the church something, the, 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 the Jews, the 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 temple, the priests, you know, a little commission. Um, to, to, to execute this tradition. And then you couldn't even do it. You couldn't even, you could not give your parents anything. You couldn't help them at all. It would be against the law to help them. And Jesus is calling them out here. You know, it, it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I'm going to give all of my stuff to God. Doesn't that sound spiritual? Only problem is they weren't doing it for God. They were doing it to spite their parents, to, to, to wound their parents, to whatever the, whatever the issue was with their parents. Oh, 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 and by the way, they would continue to use their stuff as selfishly as they wanted for the rest of their life and not have to worry about their parents. It was wicked and evil, and Jesus calling them out here you are taking this tradition because it wasn't in God's law. It was a tradition of the forefathers that had developed. I have no idea how something like that could have developed, but somehow it developed and it violated the clear commandments of God. Honor your father and mother. This is one of the problems with religion. You know, you know I... If somebody asked me about religion, you know, about our religion, you know, we always get very defensive. Oh, it's not a religion. It's a relationship, which it is and should be. There are religious elements of what we do. There's no question about that. But one of the problems with religion is you give religion enough time, it will justify any wickedness that you could imagine. And you look at History. You'll see it over and over and over again. That's not God. That's not God's Word. It's man substituting what is right and true in God's Word with his own ideas and traditions. Great evils have been done in the name of God by people who have replaced God's Word, God's teachings, with man's traditions. It's spiritual blindness. And, and we can see that. But what happened on October 7th in Israel is an example of that. How, how they can justify the evil that was done there and call it on, in, on the, in the name of God, whatever God it is that they were actually referring to. Jesus is telling these scribes and Pharisees, that the tradition of Corbin, that this tradition of man violated God's law. And he's trying, to, he's trying to get them to see something very clearly: which one should have priority. To them, to the scribes and the Pharisees, man, the traditions of man have priority. And Jesus is saying, uh, no, God's word always has priority. And that's a message to each and every one of us. Be careful. Because we do exactly the same thing. We start allowing our ideas or the ideas of others to infiltrate and to to replace the clear teaching of Scripture and then then we start down a pathway. And it's not something, we don't just jump into this. this. This law of Corbin didn't happen overnight. It happened over centuries to get to the place that it was. The same thing is true in every last one of our lives. If we allow anything to start speaking to us apart from the Word of God, and over, or on top of, or even parallel to the Word of God, there's going to come a time where we're going to have to pick between the tradition of man or the clear teaching of Scripture and our flesh. Which one do you think our flesh wants? We know which one. This law... Well, it violated one of the commandments, in one of the big ten. Also violated the God's greatest law, the law of love. It's a very unloving thing to do to not take care of your parents. Listen, we need to understand something. If you trust in man's traditions, it will always hurt people, always. Only someone spiritually blind could practice such a thing. And then he, he accuses them. Not, not only are they doing it, they're teaching others to do it. Now, understand something. Jesus is not anti-tradition. Traditions are natural. Every group of people on earth creates traditions. Families create traditions, right? We, you know, in a, you know at Christmas time, we have a little tradition um, that has been passed down to a couple of our kids at least where at Christmas, the, you, know, they, you know, the parents take the little Jesus out of the nativity, hide him somewhere, make the kids find him before we open up Christmas presents. you got, you got to find Jesus before we can, you know, do the Christmas presents. You know, it's putting Jesus back into Christmas, right? It's a tradition. Is it biblical? And can I find a, a chapter and verse that I refer to? No. It's a tradition. Nothing wrong with traditions, what Jesus is opposed to here is traditions that break or ignore God's commands. Tradition can be useful, but only to the degree that they agree with God's commands. Traditions are not are they not they're not necessarily evil. It's our dogmatic adherence to tradition in, in spite of what God's Word says, that is evil and wicked. Every church has traditions. We have traditions here at, at CCFV. We sing five praise and worship songs before the message. Why five? It's our tradition. That's what we do. We take the offering between worship and the message. Why? Because it's our tradition. That's what we do. We do communion or the Lord's Supper on the second Sunday of the month. Why? It's our tradition. None of them, you're not going to find a single one of those that tells you in the Bible when or how to do any of those things. But we created tradition. Why? Because traditions are helpful. As long as they line up with and encourage us to worship God. The moment a tradition starts becoming the object of worship, that's when it needs to be gotten rid of or replaced or, or overhauled. So Jesus, uh, you know, he was always so gentle and kind, um, except when he talks to the scribes and Pharisees, and we see example of him getting a little harsh here with the scribes and Pharisees. Verse 7, hypocrites. Okay, that's not something you want to hear out of the mouth of, of God, Right? Somebody say, yeah, no, I don't want to hear that. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. That means they're, they're acting like they worship God. They're acting like they are God's people. But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is saying your heart is not right. You're acting like you worship me. You're acting like you are obeying me, but you're not doing either one of those. You know we we've always got to be so careful. You know, I love this church. This is a church that really seems to love Jesus. And so I'm going to I'm going to continue loving this church as long as we keep loving Jesus, right? we've got to be careful. The heart can get so messed up, and we can get caught up in wrong ideas and thoughts and opinions and all that. Be careful of your heart. We never want to be in that situation where Jesus would stand before us and say to you, hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who's doing something and saying something and acting like something, and that's not what they are. That's not who they are. They know it. Everybody around them probably knows it. Jesus then turns to the multitudes. Verse 10. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. So the scribes and the Pharisees said if you don't go through this ritual of hand washing everything you consume everything you eat defiles you makes you unclean and unworthy to worship God. And Jesus says, no it doesn't. That's not what makes you unclean, it's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. That's a radical thought for them. The disciples the disciples come to Jesus to tell him something that, you know, obviously he doesn't know because otherwise they wouldn't have told him this, right? In verse 12, they say, then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Like, did you know that that offended them? Yes, Jesus knew that. Verse 13, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. He's basically saying, you know what? They're not, they're not mine. They're not, they're not from the Father. These things that they're doing and saying, that doesn't come from God. And, and ultimately, he's going to tell them, don't worry about them. Now, this is pretty strong language. Listen, listen to verse 14. Let them alone. Leave them alone. Stay away from them, he says to them. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. This is strong language coming from the Prince of Peace, right? You know, we want to think of Jesus as all, you know, soft and warm and fuzzy. No, he was God in the flesh, holy and perfect. When he had to deal with something, he dealt with it. Anyone who puts religion or a tradition, or man's ideas over Scripture deserves this response. They're to be avoided. They're to be ignored, possibly even to be rebuked, though he says, leave them alone, which basically says, just ignore them, which is a radical thing for Jesus to say to them, because you know why? The scribes and Pharisees were considered the holiest people in the nation and he says, you know what? Just leave them alone. Stay away from them. Trust God to deal with them. You don't have to mess with them. Just, just, just do what I'm telling you to do. Do what God tells you to do and leave them alone. All right, sometimes he'll come to me and say, do you know what so-and-so is doing? And my response typically is, no. You know why? None of my business what they're doing. I'm not talking about other churches. I'm not talking about us. If you come, you're doing, you're messing around here. You're, you, you know, I'll, I'll come talk to you about it. But other churches, I don't, I don't pay, I don't, I don't pay that much attention to them. But, 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 but no, it's not my business. I got enough to deal with the, all y'all because some of you are kind of messed up. It's like a full-time job keeping up with some of you people. Only God can heal the blind. And so, if you got people out there, they're blind, blind leaders, and understand what what it means to be blind in this context is someone who is unwilling to see. They're unwilling to see. Not that they can't see, because anyone through the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can see, can be healed of spiritual blindness. But if they're unwilling, Jesus says, leave them alone. And these these blind are leading other blind, other people who are unwilling to see. He says, leave them alone too. You do what I'm telling you to do. You go where I'm telling you to go. And then Peter speaks up for the group, verse 15. Then Peter answered and said to them, explain, explain this parable to us. It's like there was a lot of that going on, a lot of explaining going on, I get it. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Are you also blind? Is the idea there? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth Goes into the stomach and is eliminated, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Amen. You're not defiled just because you don't do some ritual washing of your hand. It doesn't make you unworthy to worship God just because you don't go through this ritual or any other ritual. He says what's coming out of you, ah, that will defile you. That will interfere with your relationship with God. And I want you to notice in that list, the very first thing that it refers to are evil thoughts. Ooh. We don't often... We don't often condemn our thoughts, I think, too often. They say, well, it's it's just what's inside of me. If it doesn't come out, it's okay. Jesus says, no. That defiles you. Those evil thoughts don't belong in you. Whatever's in your heart will come out. And if there's something coming out of you, it started in you. People don't like to hear that. You know, they'll get angry. And they they almost never will blame their own wicked heart for that. Who do they blame? Kelly. (laughs) She made me angry. Or better yet, Philip. He made me angry. No. No, he didn't. No, he didn't that anger was already in me. And all he did was create a pathway for it to get out. And you know what? God allowed him to do that so that I could see it and understand how wicked it is. No one can make you angry. No one can make you worried. No one can make you fearful. No one can make you resentful. All of that is in you. If you're doing it, it's because it's in you. And you know what? God doesn't like it. And it interferes in our relationship. When we start to recognize these things, we start to see the truth of this, that all these things that come out of us, if we could understand it, that this is things coming out of me because it's in me, and God wants to deal with it. He wants to sanctify it. He wants to make it holy. He wants to purge it from me. Whatever it he wants to do, we start to do that. Then we start getting onto a pathway towards righteousness and holiness, walking on a pathway that leads to God and the goodness that he has for us. But as long as we'll justify it and say, oh no, my problem is not me, I am not the problem. It's that woman you gave me, God. I mean, as long as we're doing those kinds of things and justifying it, we're we're not gonna be able to worship God the way that he calls us to. Those things that are in us must come out. You know why? Because it's who we are. It will come out. And you can hide it for a while. But eventually, everything that is in your heart will come out. Matthew 12, 34 and 35 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where does, where does the stuff that's coming out of you come from? What's in your heart? The abundance of what's in your heart. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. If evil things are coming out, it's because there's something evil inside of us. doesn't make you evil, necessarily, hope not. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not evil, but you're also not perfect. And we need to recognize that. <clears throat> King Solomon the, supposedly the wisest man on earth, exhorted God's people to guard their heart. In uh, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. It's gonna come out of your heart. The scribes and Pharisees had a vision problem. They were blind, spiritually blind to the truth. They'd allowed the traditions to blind them. They had had leaned into the tradition so heavily that they they only played lip service to the commands of God. Everything was about the tradition, doing the tradition, making sure that we're following this to to the letter. And they were spiritually blind. The problem with spiritual blindness is it always affects the heart. Spiritual blindness makes the heart hard, makes the heart unresponsive and insensitive to God and to those around us. And it was not because they couldn't see. it's because they were unwilling to see. They had a heart problem. Spiritual blindness is always a heart problem. So what do we do? How do we keep our heart pure? How do we deal with our own spiritual blindness that is going to affect our heart? How do we we deal with our spiritual blind spots? We talked about it earlier. I said earlier, the problem with spiritual blind spots is what? We're blind to them. We can't see them. So what do we need to do? Well, first, we need to ask God to give us his heart. In Psalm 51.10, it says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Here's the problem with our spiritual blind spots. There is nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to change the fact that you have spiritual blind spots. It is a work of God. It must be a work of God. You must give him your heart and, and, and you can't practice spiritual rituals. You can't, you know, get, you know, all of your crystals in a row. I, I don't even know what those things do. But you can't do any of that stuff. You have to let God in. You have to yield yourself fully to him and say, God, I mean, and, and all of us need to do this, myself included. We all of us have to realize we all have spiritual blind spots. Every last one of us does. And we have to regularly open ourselves up and say, God, okay, I, I agree. I have spiritual blind spots. I don't know where they are. I don't know what they are. Be, because I can't see them, and so I need you to show them to me. Change my heart, God, because I can't do it myself. You must surrender your heart to God and let him change it. Second, fill your heart with God's word. Psalm 119.11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more of God's word you have filling your heart, the more likely you are to have fewer blind spots. The more, the more God is able to show you where your blind spots are. It takes God's word, and that's why it grieves my spirit to hear that people are not reading their Bibles. It's where we find out who God is, because it's what he gave us so that we can know him better. We know God based on his word. And here's the thing. You know, somebody said, well, I've already read the Bible once. It was like 40 years ago, but I read it. That's not enough. I read the Bible almost every day. Not, I'm not boasting. I need to read the Bible every day, because I know, I know, even though I read, I study, I teach regularly, that there are still blind spots. God has revealed some of those to me recently. There are still blind spots. I'm still working. I'm still a work in progress. But you've got to to keep filling your heart with the word of God and asking him, God, use this word as I'm bringing it in, not just to fill my head, but to change my heart. Third, ask God to re- reveal anything that might have a wrong place in your heart. The problem with the scribes and Pharisees, they'd, they'd allowed all these rituals and everything to have a place in their heart that didn't belong there. Some wine. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, have you prayed that? God, look at my heart, God. And then show me any wicked way. Anybody here want that? I know, God, I'd like you to show me all my wicked ways. There's a part of me that says, oh, no, I don't. I don't want to see that. I want to imagine how amazing I am, right? I I, I, I have people tell me that. Rick, you're amazing. Dude, if you only knew. You only knew what goes on inside of me. It's messed up. Only a couple people ever have told me that. Kelly tells me it once in a while. Listen, if we want to be like Christ, we have to be willing to see the ugliness that might be hiding in our heart. Be willing to face up, to look into a mirror and see something that disgusts us because it's the only way we're going to be able to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to cleanse us of it and to make us right before him. Trust God. Trust him with every part of your heart. Now, one of the traditions in the church is a three-part message, you know, three points, boom, boom, boom. So with that in mind, here is my fourth point. (laughs) Open your heart to others. Because we have blind spots, we will need help seeing the things that we can't see. That's what Jesus is doing with these scribes and Pharisees. They're blind to the truth. God's not, he's not, Jesus is not condemning them. He is confronting them. He hopes to bring conviction to them, but he knows they're blind. They're willfully blind. They don't want to see it. They're probably not, most, not, there were a few of the scribes and Pharisees that responded, but not many of them. The Bible, the New Testament especially has many one another verses. It's a great study. If you want to spend some time, look up the one another verses in, in the New Testament. There's, I don't remember. There's a few, a couple of dozen. Like one, like a big one. Love one another. It's kind of the big one. Love one another. How do we do that? How do we, how do we fulfill the one another verses? Well, together, right? We got to be around each other. We have to have relationships with one another, and not just casual relationships, intimate relationships with another. We have to know each other in a way that allows us to see things in people's lives that they can't see themselves, because because we can't see them, but God might reveal it to them, and we have to be open and willing to hear and see things that we really don't want to hear or see. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The the scribes and Pharisees were blind to this truth that Jesus was trying to lay out to them. They were blind to it. And, And we remember chapter 14 is kind of bookended by Jesus doing what? healing every sickness, including blindness. Could Jesus heal spiritual blindness? Say yes, pastor, he could heal spiritual blindness. Or just say yes, don't get old. (laughs) Standing in front of them is the power of God to open their eyes spiritually. But you have to be willing. You have to be willing. You have to want to see the truth. And Jesus, the, the, the account of him in Gennesaret. The, the multitudes come to him, and all they had to do was touch the hem of his garment, and they were healed. Standing in front of them is, is God in the flesh, who all they have to do is reach out in faith and touch him. We all have blind spots. Problem is we can't see them. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other more than just you know showing up and hanging out and that. We need to actually care about one another. Have a deep abiding passion to reach out and touch the hearts and minds and souls of those around us, to truly love them. The worship team's going to come up here in a second. And I'm going to ask you, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to heal us of any spiritual blindness that we have. But I'm going to, I just want you just, just to just to rest for a moment and think and 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 focus on the fact and admit the fact that you have spiritual blind spots. You have them. But you don't think about them. Why don't you think about them? Because you can't see them. But they're affecting you. They're affecting your relationship with God. They're affecting the people around you. They're affecting the church. They're affecting the world. Those spiritual blind spots are getting in the way. The first thing we do is confess that. God, I have spiritual blind spots. And I need you to help me see. I need you to heal me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we come recognizing, God, that those spiritual blind spots that we have, that we, we, unless somebody comes up to us and points at one or tells us that we have them, we might not even think about it. We can go, we can go a long time without giving any thought to it. But you brought this text to show us these people have spiritual blind spots and their response after seeing Jesus heal every single person just by letting them touch the hem of his garment, by recognizing that he's done these great and radical works, and yet they come and whine and complain about the fact that his disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. They have missed it because they're blind. And Lord, I don't want any of, any, anyone here, anyone watching online to miss it, to miss the power of God that you want to pour out into their lives. And it all begins with us confessing. Confessing that we, we do have blind spots. And we can't, we can't say, here's one, here's one, here's another one. We can't do that because we can't see them. And so we need you, God. We need you to show us. We need you to change our hearts. And we know we play a role in that. Part of the role in that is allowing you to fill our heart with the Word of God through faith and obedience and and reading and and getting to know you better through your Word and and serving you and, and doing all the things that we do to connect with you. We've got to admit that we need you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, to come and to change our heart And so I lift up your people. I ask, Lord God, that you would help them to see the need that they have. And that maybe, maybe it would be your will to heal somebody of something that they've been wrestling with. Maybe a blind spot, maybe that you've revealed to them that they're still wrestling with. I pray, Lord, that they would open up their hearts and allow you to do that right this very moment. And Lord, we also want to lift up if anyone's here and they don't have a relationship with you. That's the greatest healing that anyone needs. And so I pray, Lord, that they would open their hearts and recognize that without you they are lost, that they are completely blind, that they can't see any good, they can't see truth, they can't see you, God, until they open their heart and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray they would do that right this moment. Okay, as simple as a, a, a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm not one of your people. I repent of those sins that separate me from you. And I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And your death made a way for me to have my eyes opened to the truth of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the hope of God. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and help me to see. And Lord, for all of us as we go out of this place, Lord, that we would, that we would regularly ask you to reveal to us those areas of, of blindness, that you would help us to do those things that we need to do that we might be able to see better. We can be healed of our blindness that unlike the, the scribes and the Pharisees who are unwilling, Lord, help us to be willing to allow you to do that work in our hearts. We thank you, God, that you do love us so much that you will, you'll put up with us as we stumble and struggle and, and, and make wrong turns and make poor choices. But if we just keep our heart, keep our heart willing that you'll put up with us and you'll help us and you'll lead us, and you'll guide us, and we will get there. Help us to be a people, a willing people, God. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith, if you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com slash connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com. Or text the word PRAY to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give. Or text the word GIVE to 951 419 Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.